Are we there? There we are. Okay. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Pastor Mike is out tonight. He is actually in Nicaragua on a missions trip. He'll be back Saturday. So in his absence, Brother Tom Douthat is going to come here in just a few moments and uh, teach. Uh, and I know he's got a word that will challenge you and encourage you and inspire you tonight. But before we, do, before we get into that, we're going to open up with prayer and uh, just go to the Lord with our needs. Brian Cooley, good to see you, man. Glad you're out of the hospital. My, my former pastor used to say, man, I'd rather be here than the best hospital in town. <laughs> but uh, Brian was in the hospital earlier this week, had uh, taken a fall over the weekend, so we're thrilled to see him up and out. Uh, other needs, uh, Rusty Walker's father passed away. His funeral will be this coming Saturday, so we need to remember the Walker family. Remember Pastor Mike as he travels. A uh, lot of flu and sickness and just stuff going around. I know it's hit our house. Uh, I've got a daughter that's missed a couple of days of school. My wife's not feeling well. Uh, so just a lot of that stuff going around. When it hits a house, it seems to latch on. So uh, let's just pray that the Lord will blow all that mess out of here and, and the rest of us stay healthy and safe. Amen. Why don't you stand with me tonight and uh, let's just go to the Lord in prayer as we begin. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here this evening. Lord, what a privilege it is to be able to come into your house and to uh, together with those of, of, of like precious faith and, and study your word. I pray, Lord God, that as uh, Tom comes this evening, that you would anoint his words, God, anoint his, his mouth and, and our ears, God, that we might hear what you would have us to hear and our hearts to receive what you have for us tonight. Lord, let your word come alive. And Lord, for each and every need that's represented in this place, we just pray that you would show yourself real. Or there's so much illness going around, I just pray, God, that you would minister to those that are battling this flu and the stomach bug and the different things that are, that are going around that people are battling, that you would, uh, Lord, just touch your people and, and make them complete and whole. We thank you for those that, we thank you for Brian, God, for raising him up, the fact that he's able to be here with us this evening, and Lord, that things were not any worse than they were. Uh, but Lord, I pray for complete and total recovery where he's concerned as well. We lift Rusty and his family to you. Uh, as they have suffered this loss, the loss of his father, I pray that you would be with them over the coming days as they prepare to lay him to rest. And uh, God, that you would just let your Holy Spirit come alongside them and comfort them. Let your peace surround them, uphold them, and sustain them through this difficult time. And again, Father, let this night, let, that, let, that you would speak to us throughout the evening, this evening, across this campus in our youth ministry children's department, the different uh, classes and things that are going on, God, our women's Bible study, that your anointing would just rest upon each one, and that we would hear from you before we leave this place, that we would not leave the way that we came in, but Lord, change us into your likeness and your image. We thank you for it. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, and we all said, amen. Well, right quick before Tom comes, you can be seated. Let me just remind you, don't forget Sunday, um, be here, 830 and 1045. We'd love to have you here with us. Pastor Mike will be back, and he'll be wrapping up his current series, Creatures of Habit. So that'll be the last week in that series. And then don't forget to mark your calendar. Coming up the, um, the 18th of February will be our annual business celebration, uh, immediately following the 1045 service. And then the very next week, on the 25th of February, the Watoto Children's Choir from Kampala, Uganda, will be with us. These guys, if you've not seen them, Man, I'm going to tell you, you don't want to miss it. If you have seen them, you know you don't want to miss it, but you don't want to miss these guys. This is an uh, African children's choir. They travel the country, um, and they will be with us on that Sunday night at 6.30. And, uh, man, these kids are incredible. Most of them uh, have been orphaned due to the AIDS epidemic and various things. 
but uh, you don't want to miss this night. So invite your friends. We'll receive a love offering for them that evening. Doors will open at 5.30. And we'll be looking for some help uh, here in the next couple of weeks. We'll be sending some stuff out. We need some help with merchandise. We'll need some help meeting them that afternoon and getting their equipment loaded in and then helping them tear down that night and get loaded out as they head on down the road to their next stop. But just make sure and mark your calendar. Also, um, this coming Thursday, one week from tomorrow, is our next food distribution at Yellow Jacket Stadium. So if you're helping with that, be at the stadium at 9.30, or you can be here at 9 o'clock to help us load up and head that way. So a lot of stuff going on. Be sure and, and uh, watch online for more information. Follow us on social media, and make sure we have your email address so we can keep you up to date with everything that's going on. So, man, get your Bibles out. And uh, just be prepared. Tom is going to come and share with us tonight. So may the Lord bless you as he comes. Thank you, Brent. Tonight I have a lesson entitled, Why Do I Do the Things I Do? Now, for those of you that are Listen to music back in the 70s and 80s. You'll recognize that as part of Wham, one of their songs. Also, Dallas Home did a song very much the same, except it was why he does the things in the ministry that he does. So, so the thought's not original. Um, lessons mostly from John 14, 15 through 24. A little while back, our Sunday school class studied a book called Abiding in Christ by J.I. Packer, Carolyn Nystrom, as you can guess by the title, it's a study about how to help Christians stay on track in their walk with Christ, not get sidetracked by all the distractions and things that come our way. We spent eight weeks studying the book, and it's mostly focused on John 13 through 17, which is the last week of Christ before his crucifixion. Now, during that week, Christ drove home a lot of the teachings that he had already taught the disciples, but they hadn't grasped yet. He pushed over and over on things like humility, being willing to serve rather than be served, loving one another, and the relationship between Christ and his Father, as well as keeping the commandments because we loved him. He also taught on the Holy Spirit and spent a good bit of time bringing out the thought of the Trinity. Before then, the Jews thought about God the Father. They didn't think much about God the Son, and the Holy Spirit had not been out as baptism of the Holy Spirit as we know it. Occasionally, the Holy Spirit would come on a prophet or on a particular one to do a particular great work, but he wasn't as we know him. So Christ began to teach about this and to prepare them that the Holy Spirit was going to come. This final week was so important that one half of John's gospel is about the last week of Christ. Matthew used over 33% of his gospel about that week. Mark nearly 40 and Luke used over 25% of his gospel to cover just the last seven days of Jesus' entire life. Now, to lay a little background, we'll back up and start at John chapter 12, which begins by telling us that then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he'd raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus, one of those that sat the table with him. Now, this was the meal where the woman brought the alabaster box full of uh, the ointment of spikered, which was very costly. She broke it, and she anointed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, 
which upset some of the apostles and those around because all this money was spent on Jesus. But Jesus said, hey, I'm not going to be here forever. She's anointing me for my burial in preparation for my death. During this chapter, John goes on to talk about the triumph entry, about people that were singing Hosanna and that came laying palm branches down before Christ as he rode the donkey into town. Many believed, and the scripture says, even among the rulers, many believed, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they feared the praise, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. The 13th chapter tells us of the Last Supper and Jesus washing the disciples' feet as a way to demonstrate humility and being willing to serve. John 14 stops, starts with Jesus giving comfort to disciples, telling them that he's leaving, but that he's going to his father's house, and in his father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you, he says. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you myself. All that is very important that we understand when we get to this third lesson, which is where I'm about to start. It's very important that we understand just what all was going on in that last week because we read those scriptures a lot of time and we're not really aware of the fact that this is Jesus' last days before he's crucified. He's got seven days to get instilled into his disciples exactly what they need to know to carry on his ministry. He spends a lot of time paring down. You know, at one point, he's got 5,000 that he ministers to. He's got 4,000 that he ministers to. But this last week, he focuses more and more just on the 12. John 14, verses 15 through 17. Well, the, the book gets to John 14 in the third lesson. And this is what particularly struck a chord with me that's titled, Look Within, is what the lesson was titled. And that's what it asks us to do. John 14, verses 15 through 17. Jesus tells that his departure is coming and that the Holy Spirit will come. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. Beginning in this verse, he begins to put in something a little bit different when he's points out that those disciples, those that follow him, they know the Holy Spirit, they will receive him, but the world won't see him, won't recognize him. He begins to drive this distinction home that there is a difference between Christians and those that are not. Those that just knew the law, the Jews knew the law better than anyone, but yet they didn't necessarily follow it, and they certainly didn't follow it out of love. They did it out of legality. And this is part of the message that Jesus is driving home. Verses 18 through 21, Jesus promises to make himself known to his disciples as departed when he says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but you see me because I live. You shall live also. At that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and ye in me, and I in you. And he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall love be loved of my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. All through Jesus' ministry, he had pointed out the fact that the words that he said weren't his words, but the Father's words. The work that he did wasn't just what he wanted to do, but he was doing the Father's will. And this is what he, he said over and over, and then he began to iterate here that 
put the, the apostles in there that they would be loved by the Father. The Father would love them as the Father loved Jesus. It began to give that idea of the sonship and the heirship that the Christians would have. Verse 22 through 24, Jesus explains why he's not manifest to everyone. Now, Judas was carried, asking, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself to us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father's love will love him. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. And he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. The word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Again, he points out that it's not his speaking, it's not his ideas, it's not his words, it's the Father's that had sent him. He's speaking what the Father gave. And it sounds a little bit harsh. The world won't see me. The world won't know me. The world won't know the Holy Spirit because they don't love me. All through the 14th chapter of John, we see that Jesus is telling his disciples that he is about to depart. He reminds them that he and the Father are one and that the works that he does are the works of his Father. And what Jesus does, he does that the Father will be glorified. His love and desire to glorify the Father even carries Christ to the cross. In fact, a lot of some of the places in the scriptures when it talks about being glorified, he's talking about him being hung up on the tree. In your eyes and mine, that's probably not very glorified. But that's why he came. And that's why it was his purpose that he would hang on that cross for our sins. He points out that those that love him will be loved by both Christ and the Father, and that Christ will show himself to those. With Jesus knowing that this is his final week before the crucifixion, He's focusing on preparing the disciples for his death, equipping them to carry on his teachings after he has taken away from them. There are many critical things he wants to stress to his disciples, yet he takes time to repeatedly weave into his instructions, loving him and keeping his commandments were connected. Now, you know, Jesus only had three and a half years with his disciples. And he's down to the last seven days if you go back and you look at the questions that they had, even up through the Last Supper, they had not got the message yet. They were still arguing over who's going to be the greatest. They still had concerns about the money that was being spent from Jesus' anointing. They had a lot of things that they didn't get right. At one point, they wanted to call fire down from heaven to consume people, which was not Jesus' way at all. They hadn't got the message, and Jesus is pushing really hard this last week for them to get the message because he's about to leave and they need to pick up and carry on. Now they hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet, so they were still operating a lot without, without that. But this lesson stressed three times in just these few verses about loving him and the commandments, about the connection. It, it stressed so much that it began to impress me and I began to think and look at how that some of the other scriptures warn us against trying to do one without the other. I want to love Christ. I want to be what Christ, you know, love Christ and let him know I appreciate what he's done for me, but I don't want to do the work. Or I want to do the work, but really not commit to loving Christ. We have both happens in our churches today. We have people that feel both way. And I don't say any of this with any condemnation. It is something that we will find ourselves being led into if we're not really careful. We all know that Christians must follow the commandments of Christ. Verse 15 said, keep my commandments. Verse 21, he said, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them. Verse 23, he will keep my words 
Verse 24 warns of those that do not keep the words of Christ. Now, for those of us that grew up in church, we learned the Ten Commandments that Moses gave, and we realized as a child that we needed to try to keep those if we wanted to please the Lord. But as we studied that lesson about looking within, we were reminded that we needed to keep Christ's commands, but every time he mentions about keeping his commands or not keeping them, love is tied. It's tied to it. If you keep my commands, you love me. If you don't, you don't love me. And as I studied this and looked at it, I began to realize that the point wasn't about keeping the commands as much as it was loving Jesus. The keeping the commands was going to come if we keep my command, if we loved him. If we go back and revisit those same verses, verse 15 says, if you love me, keep my commands. Now, David Guzik says, this is a fair measure of our love of Jesus. It is easy to think of loving Jesus merely sentimental or emotional terms. It is wonderful when our love of Jesus has sentiment and passion. But love must always be connected with keeping his commandments, or it's not love at all. Paul restated that when he talked about doing all sorts of things, doing them without love even to the point of letting his body be burned. He said, it's just tinkling symbols and a lot of noise when I do all these things without love. Verse 21, he says, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loves me. Now Morris said that the man who loves Jesus is one who has his commandments and keeps them. This is a, to have the commandment is an unusual expression and does not seem to be exactly paralleled. The meaning appears to be to make the commandment one own, to take them into one's inner being, to have the commandments, not just to know them, not just to have heard them, not just to understand them, but to actually have the commandments where they are part of me, they're part of my DNA, they're part of the way I think. I don't have to sit down and say, what's the commandment of the Lord? You just instinctively do it. That's what it means to have the commandments. Commentator Dodd says, the love of Christ promises it. The love which Christ promises of himself is not an idle sentiment or a shallow fancy, but a principle prompting obedience. Verse 23 says, If any man loveth me, he will keep my words. Now, regarding the words that Christ refers to here, McLaren points out that it is more than a commandment, is it not? Christ's words is more than a precept. It includes all of his sayings. It includes them all as in one final unity, an organic whole. We are not to go picking and choosing from them, but they are all one. Now, if we take all the different sayings that we read out of the New Testament, you go back and you read Matthew through John, you find every place that Jesus spoke, all of the instruction that he gave, whether he was criticizing a Pharisee or Sadducee or he was telling the apostles what to do, if we take all of those words and put them together as a whole, that's what it's talking about when he says, if you keep my words. If you take all of it, don't pick out the ones that you like, don't pick out just the ones that you think apply, but take all of it and let that become the way that we live. It makes a difference. Note that each one of these verses that I read, verse 15, 21, and 23, the intensity increases with each one. First, he says, keep my commandments. That's something that we can do legalistically. 
We can take the things and write them down and say, yes, I was nice to someone today. Yes, I gave them an offering. Yes, I did this or I did that. And we can check some boxes. But then he says, he that hath my commandments. When it got inside, when it gets into this, you know, Jesus repeatedly told the, uh, the lawyers and those that questioned him about the commandments of Moses. And then he's turned right around and put it as commandments from within the heart. He said, if you're guilty in the heart, you're guilty of doing it. So every time that he brings this up, verse 21, is more intense than just keeping the commandments, to have the commandments, to make it part of you. And then verse 23, he steps it up another notch, to keep my words, not just the commandments that I say thou shalt not or thou shalt, but the intent of the words. If you take Jesus' message as a whole, it was love. It was God the Father loving us enough that he sent his son and how that we should treat each other as that same way. That changes it a lot when we began to realize what he was actually pointing out. But then the verse 24, he goes on to say that he that loveth me not keepeth not my saying. If we don't love Christ, we can't honestly keep his sayings. We can do nice things for people, but it's not keeping them out of love. It's not doing it because of Christ. Each of these verses ties loving Christ with keeping his commandments. And then, in fact, in verse uh, 37 through 40 of Matthew 22, Christ tells us more about the Ten Commandments when he makes the statement, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, and with, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything that Moses said in the Ten Commandments, Jesus rolled it up into these two. You can't break any of the other eight if you keep these two. You can't be mean to a neighbor. You can't steal from him. You can't covet what he's got if you truly love him. You can't do things that hurt Christ if you truly love him. So if you get those two commandments in your heart, Jesus said, everything else hangs on it. All the teachings of the prophets, and there was a lot of law and a lot of teachings of the prophets, they all hang on these two. It is good to do the work of the Lord and to keep his commandments, but it is possible to do the work of the Lord and the love of the Lord, not be the driver behind the work. Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, in thy name done wonderful works? Then I will prophesy, profess unto them, I never knew you. Jesus was given a warning that we can do things in his name. We can do works in his name. But if the love is not there, it doesn't work. That's not what he was talking about. Charles Spurgeon makes the comment on obeying Christ's command that obedience must have love for its mother, for its nurse, and food. The essence of obedience lies in the hearty love which promotes the deed rather than in the deed itself. You know, we have many people that have done some great humanitarian things, provided food, provided uh, water wells in places where there were no water, and they've done a lot of things, a lot of good. But it's not as done unto the Lord. It's not the same thing. 
We have to do it as unto the Lord. We have to do it out of love other than just doing it. During this final week, Christ was preparing the disciples to carry on the gospel after he had returned to heaven. Knowing the many challenges that they would face, he takes time to repeatedly comment to them about his commandments being a result of his love, them loving him. Jesus knew that his disciples' hearts and that they would start out with good intentions, but many things could sidetrack them. If you look at it, wasn't long after Peter denied Christ that he's ready to turn away and go fishing. All of the disciples denied Christ, turned away from him there for a bit. It would have been easy after Christ was taken from them to have started out and the persecution come to turn away. But because of their love, they stayed steadfast. The love of Christ was so great in them, Peter requested to be crucified upside down. All of the apostles, except for John, suffered martyrdom because they loved Christ. After he was gone, that love was still there. If we look at some things that sidetrack us today, first thing that came to mind is success. Success is a wonderful thing if we can keep it in check. Even in ministry, success can be a problem. Many of us, ministry has started out with love of Christ at the core, but as success came, so did concerns about popularity and expanding the audience by being more acceptable to the masses. Jesus warned the Pharisees of worrying about being judged, by judging their righteousness based on men's opinion. We must be careful not to get caught in the trap of trying to serve God by pleasing man. If anybody knew the law, and if anybody tried to keep the law, it was the Pharisees. I can't imagine going out and counting the mint in my garden and tithing out of it. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay tithe of mint and anus and cumin, yet have omitted the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done, not leaving the other undone. Yes, they had kept the commandment of tithing, that was a box they could check off. That was something that they made sure other people saw they had done. But you see the weightier matters that Jesus talked about. Good judgment, fair judgment, showing mercy, having faith. That's not something that you could check the box off. How do you say, I was totally honest and fair with that person? How do you say that I showed all the mercy I needed to show someone? That my faith is 100% where it should be. It's not as easy as just going and checking a box because you put in the tenth leaf off of a mint plant. Besides all that, not everybody sees when you do things. And that was a big deal with the, with the Pharisees. The weightier things that he talked about are not things of, of human heart. They're not things that come from us, from our human nature. Jesus was talking about the nature of God. He was talking about doing things from our heart that was right with Christ. They're not human ways. They're above the, no one sees when we don't get mad if someone cuts, off, cuts us off in traffic. And we show mercy and forgive. Ephesians 6, 6 advises us to act with a correct motive, not with eye service or as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. 
Matthew 6, 1 through 2. It says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore when thou dost thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Now for me, I have a little bit of problem understanding someone that goes and sounds a trumpet before they put in the offering, but they did back then. We know that whenever they were fasting, they would not wash and shave their beards. They would put on, you know, one to look like they were fasting. And, but when they were standing to pray, they had on their long prayer of elastics and made sure they were in a dominant spot. So they were praying so everybody could see. And Christ condemned them very harshly for that because it was all a show. It was not from their heart. They were doing the deed, but they were not doing it out of love for him. And that was the caution. Now, for us today, we're a whole lot more subtle. We don't do it. No trumpets. You know, I, when the offering plate passes, nobody puts a trumpet and, and blows a trumpet when they put in. We don't stand and make a big deal when we pray. But we usually do like for someone to notice when we've done something good. And the Lord cautions, cautions us about that. And some would try to gain entrance into heaven by doing righteous deeds. Now you say, what's wrong with that? Doing something righteous, that should get me into heaven. No. Doing good doesn't get us there. Good works doesn't make it. Titus 3.5 warns, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. We just can't do enough works to make it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, Let us know, lets us know that we are not going to earn salvation by works. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the grace of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. How would we judge if we had done enough? At what point can you do enough good works to feel like you deserve into heaven? The scriptures warn us that our very best, our righteousness is just as filthy rags to Christ. That it's not at all going to make it. According to Galatians 2, 16, even if we could obey the law. Now the Jews tried for hundreds and hundreds of years to obey the Mosaic law. They failed. When Christ came, the law was being misinterpreted terribly. They had taken a lot of man's traditions and put it in as law. And everybody failed at it. They were not being good at keeping the law. But if we could, it says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Those works aren't going to get us justified, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. It is by faith. Even when we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So if I were a really, really good man without faults, which I'm not, but didn't believe in Christ, all my works would still be pointless. That's what he's causing us some. It is possible to start out doing good things for the Lord, to keep his commandments and to do his work out of love, but somewhere along the way we lose the sight of that love. When explaining the parable of the sower to the disciples in Matthew 13, verse 22, Jesus warns that those that start out living for him but get distracted, and when he says that he also receives seed among the thorns, is he that heareth the word, 
and the care of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he become unfruitful. It's easy to start out on the path of heaven, following the Lord, loving him, but when things come that distract us, you know, I, I have had friends that when they, jobs came that kept them out of church some, various things happened here and there that caused them to get distracted where they couldn't keep their focus on the Lord. They still wanted to, to love the Lord, but they didn't love him enough to stay connected. They didn't love him enough to stay close to him. Revelations 2, verses 1 through 5 is a caution. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven candlesticks. I know thy works, thy labor, thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them to be liars, and hast borne and hast patience for my namesake, hast labored and hast not fainted. Sound like they're doing pretty good. They're being protective of the gospel. They don't want somebody teaching something wrong. They can't stand those that are evil. They have been patient. They have been doing the work of the Lord. But then let's finish the scripture. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou hast fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick from out of its place, except you repent. Now, the good news about this verse is that they had lost their first love, but he gives them the opportunity to get it back, to rekindle the flame. And I dare say that any of us that have been Christians a long time, that we haven't had to rekindle that flame from time to time, that it can begin to wane a little bit. We need to keep it rekindled. Now, we know that the Apostle Peter loved the Lord, but after the crucifixion, after he had denied Christ, even though he had seen Christ again, after the, this, in John 21, 3, he says, I go fishing. He still loved Christ, but it's possible to leave the work of Christ and to go back to something else. He was ready to go back to his old profession. Galatians 6, 9 cautioned us, be not weary in well-doing. Sometimes we start doing something with the Lord, but as time goes on, we start doing it out of habit. We start doing it because we think it's expected. In our weariness, we forget why we started doing it, and it becomes a job rather than an opportunity to love and serve Christ. 1 John 3.18 says, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. This lets us know that our love of Christ needs to include deeds. If you remember over in James when it talks about faith, there's this debate back and forth about having faith and works and works and not faith, etc. James says that, you know, I'll show you my faith through works. 2 John 1, 5, and 6 reminds us that love is obeying the commandments. Reads, And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we have from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. This is love, that we walk in the commandments. Again, the love will draw us to it. If we love God, keeping his commandments is not a chore. We're told in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, 
and his commandments are not grievous. Now, if you go back and you read the Mosaic Law, it sounded to me like a lot of work. I just got through listening from uh, the time the law was given up through Numbers and through Leviticus and all this, all the different sacrifices they had to do, all the different things that they had to do besides the Ten Commandments. There was a lot of law that was written then. And by the time Jesus came, that had just been multiplied. Jesus talked a lot about taking men's tradition and making it law. It was quite burdensome. But yet, if we do Jesus' bidding out of love, Scripture says it's not commandment. It's not grievous. Often, we, the verses of keeping commandments are perceived as requirements that we must do. I was talking with someone about these particular Scriptures, and they pointed out about how a lot of times you read these verses, and people think about, you know, it, it's demanding that we keep the commandments. Now, I think we've got the cart before the horse there. What Jesus is asking for is love, not mandating keep the commandments. He's letting us know that that will happen, but if we love him, the commandments will take care of themselves. If we keep the commandments because we must, they become laws to us. It turns the mercy of God into a legalistic relationship where we end up having control. In the Mosaic law, an individual could decide if they wanted to be considered clean or unclean. They could decide if they wanted to be considered following the law or not simply by what they did. If you didn't want to follow the Mosaic law, there was nobody that made them, but they were not clean. They were not acceptable to God. They would be put out of the camp. Certain cases, they would be stoned, but they could go do what they wanted to do. And in this case, what he is saying, if, if I take the law, take the commandments of God, and I do them trying to manipulate Christ into, doing, into blessing me, that's where it happens a lot of times when we take the commandments and we begin to say, well, Lord, I went to church Sunday. I've been faithful church. I've been faithful doing this. Therefore, bless me. That's not the way that it works. And it's something that sometimes happens. It is true that keeping the commandments brings blessing. Instead of being an impossible demand, it is my firm belief that keeping commandments of Christ is an unavoidable byproduct or fruit of loving Christ. It will happen. We cannot love Christ without keeping his commandments. Just like it is true that doing things for our spouse will bring peace in our home. If I want a really blessed home, I will do things for my wife out of love for her, not in an attempt to manipulate her. Early in our marriage, I heard a lot about how to have a happy home. Most of it stressed that if a man wanted a happy house, he would do what his wife wanted him to do. That would make it happy. And in response, he would have a perfect wife. Guess what? Didn't work. Didn't work at all. My wonderful wife could never read my mind to know what my idea of a perfect wife was. She tried to be good. She tried to be a perfect wife. But hey, I wanted her to bake me some cookies. Didn't tell her. So she baked me a cake. I was so disappointed. <laughs> she couldn't read my mind. In reality, what did work was learning to do things for her because I loved her. And that being the end of the story. Just simply because I loved her.
whether she noticed or not, I did things that I knew she would like because I loved her. With no strings attached, just because I loved her. She did notice. Things did work. Not because I had manipulated her, but because I treated her the way God intended me to. Not doing things in an attempt to get her to change. Not doing them to get her to cook my favorite meal, but doing them because I loved her. Now, once I learned to love her without any particular response being expected, without making any, dis any demands, the disappointments went away. I had set no expectations, so when she baked a cake, it was fine. I hadn't demanded cookies, but, but not told her. Now, all that sounds rather silly, but what happens is sometimes we do Christ the same way. We have ideas of what we want God to do for us, and we put expectations on Him, and we do things hoping to cause Him to bless us in a certain way. What happened is, see, I finally learned to love my wife with the same principle that God gave us in John 3:16, where He said, "God so loved the world that He gave." Not because He knew that we would accept Him, not because He knew that we would love Him, or that we would keep His commandments. In fact, according to Isaiah 53, Christ came knowing that we would reject him, that we would despise him, and eventually that we would slay him. He knew that he would suffer and die, but yet he came because he loved. Christ died for us, according to Romans 5, 8, but God cometh, uh, commandeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us knowing that we did not want to hear what he had to say, knowing that he did not, we would not receive him, he loved us anyway. But now, the analogy I did of the marriage, I know it doesn't work in all cases, because sometimes one spouse takes advantage of another. But you know, with God, it's not that way. He never does. In fact, in the English Standard Version of Psalms 36.5, the psalmist reminds us, Speaking of God's love, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to heavens and your faithfulness to the clouds. Now, he believed that so strong that he turned right around in verse 7 and verse 10. made basically the same statements, talking about the steadfast love of God. If we know that God loves us that strong, if we know that his commandments and his plan for us is that good, we don't have to worry about it. We love him and what comes back will be good. We don't have to worry about what he's going to do. Now, if the goal of a Christian is to be godly and Christ-like, we need to learn to love him as he loves us for what he has already done for us. Luke 7 tells that where little is, given, is forgiven, the master is loved little. But like the lady in verse 47, my sins, which are many, are forgiven. Therefore, I will love much. We find ourselves in the position of being a debtor of love. He loved us when we were unlovable. He forgave us when we had no reason to be forgiven. When we keep the commandments and do his work solely because we love him, we lose many of the stresses that come to legalistically trying to please him. When we make keeping the commandments a box we check off, we've totally missed the point and the, we don't have to worry about trying to justify our salvation by works. We don't have to worry about convincing God of anything if we're doing it just simply by 
by uh, legalistically. If we can learn to obey the commandments simply because we love God, without any expected returns, our lives will change for the better. We don't get disappointed when God doesn't answer that prayer the way we wanted him to. We don't get discouraged when life takes a left turn. If we can just love God solely for who he is and trust that he is working for our good. Many of us have needs that we have a particular way we would like to see the Lord answer. A healing, a financial situation, a relationship. We have how we want to see it answered. But God's ways are not always ours. And it takes a lot of faith to say, God, your way. Allow him total control over what comes of how he handles it. If we can trust him that much and love him, then all the stress of trying to earn the answer we want goes away. The disappointment and discouragement goes away. If we can truly grasp Jeremiah 29, 10, and 11, where he says that he has a good plan for us. Now, God's plan being good would be better than anything that I can come up with. I have laid a lot of plans in my life that I thought were really good. And by the time I got through executing them, they weren't so good at all. Everything had gone the wrong way. And we don't have to contend with ourselves of guilt when we think that we haven't done enough to deserve God's blessings. If I go and life doesn't go like I think, sometimes I can begin to look at me and criticize myself. Well, I didn't love God enough this way. I didn't do that enough. I didn't spend enough time in prayer. I didn't read the scriptures enough. That's not what it says. It says love him. Love him. The deeds will come. They will be there. But I can't judge what happens in my life. I can't use that to judge my relationship with the Lord. He loves us. And the scriptures tell us plainly that there will be some hard times. There will be some things that aren't quite the way we would like them. I believe it is a good thing for us to look inward from time to time to be sure we are on track, just like the lesson suggested we do. 1 Corinthians 11.31 advises us to judge ourselves. And my challenge to you is the same challenge that I received studying this lesson in class. Take stock of what Christ meant when he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Ask the questions, have I begun to let things I do as a Christian become about me? Have I been concerned what about what others think? During my daily prayer time, is it about telling the Lord the things I want him to do for me? Or is it taking time to commune as friend with friend? When I sit down and read the Bible, is it part of my daily routine? Or am I reading a letter from a friend that I really want to go see? When I attend church, is that just what I do? and keep up appearances, or is it because I want to go worship my Jesus? If I teach a class, give an offering, or help with some ministry, is it to be noticed, to socialize, to be around people, to fill a time slot, or is there a real reason because I love Jesus? When we do the things that we all do that are unnoticed, show a kind to some, kindness to someone that's unappreciative, Open the door for a stranger. Say a kind word to a person you're not really fond of. To do something for someone that's not going to do anything back. Is it because we love the Lord? Or is it because we know Matthew 6, 4, where Jesus said, That thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And I am plain and 
that we're planning to hold him response, uh, to the promise of rewarding me. I have actually known people that did things for the church or whatever, expecting God to reward them for it. That was their motive. That was their, they actually expressed it, that they wanted God to do something back. They did something. Go help the church one day. Go, go do this or that, you know, in the church ministry because then God's going to have to do something for me. That's missing the point. That's, Jesus tells us that he will reward us if we've done something in secret. That doesn't mean go do it to be noticed. That doesn't mean do it just simply for the reward, but we can trust him to reward. You will never, ever do something for the Lord that he will not bless you one way or another for. The truth is, why do I do the things I do for Christ? Sounds like a very, very simple question, but it's not. The answer is very hard and can be very elusive because a lot of times, okay, I taught a class because the preacher asked me to. Is that the only reason? Think a second time. When I was in manufacturing, we learned this thing they called the five whys, that you had to dig down sometimes five layers to find the real solution, the real answer. Well, you know, the preacher asked, teach a class, so you talk. But really, was it just for that? If so, it's probably not going to go really well. But if you taught the class because you, the preacher asked and you love the Lord, that's a whole different deal. You're teaching for the Lord's purpose then. And yes, if it comes up, somebody's liable to ask you. But the real reason behind it all, when you get all the way down to it, if we have made it our own, made the commandments our own, then we will love the Lord and do what we can. So as I close tonight, I'd like to ask the simple question. Why do I do the things I do for Christ? Is it tradition, habit, to receive recognition or a blessing? Or is it simply because we love Christ? Maybe you're doing it 100% just because you love Jesus. If so, wonderful. Keep it up. But if you find yourself questioning some of your motives, don't feel condemned. Don't think about stopping what you're doing. You just may need to remind yourself of how much you love Christ. See, over the past 49 and a half years that I've been married to my wife, Rosetta, I found myself getting selfish from time to time, got self-centered, and needed to remind myself of just why I loved her so. So I would sit down and think about the things that she does that I love and appreciate. In my billfold, I have a copy of the picture that was of her from before we were married. Every time I open my billfold, that picture is there. And it refreshes my memory of that special lady. Maybe it's time that we write down what we think about Christ. What he has given us, perhaps what he has forgiven us of. We begin to think about those, or maybe we have a, a picture in our mind of when we first met Christ. In the song that Dallas Holmes did, he said he had an image in his mind. And that's why he goes. The image is of a man on a tree. That's why he goes out and ministers. That's why he goes out and preaches and sings and tries to serve the Lord because of the image of a man on a cross. If we can re get that revisited in our mind, the psalmist felt so strongly about the Lord's goodness towards us that he repeats four times these words. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind.
He says it in Psalm 107, verse 8, verse 15, verse 21, verse 31. The exact words. He repeats them to stress to us four times about how great God's deeds are for mankind. You know, Valentine's Day is only a couple of weeks away. Many couples will reconfirm their love for one another with cards, gifts, time devoted to each other. If you're questioning the force behind what causes you to do the things you do for Christ, maybe it's time that you make a list of the things that he's done, the sins he's forgiven, the things that he's given, or take out that mental picture and perhaps even make a mental valentine for the Lord. You say, ah, oh, man, that sounds silly. No. Make it write out a list of what he's done for you. Count his blessings, and you'll be amazed. Count what he's done, but don't forget to start with the first. He forgave us. Can't beat that one. He forgave us. Could it be that if we begin to think again about why we love Jesus, about how we came to know him, why we know him, what he does for us, and what he has promised in the future, that we will fall deeply in love with him. And the things we do for him will just come second nature. His commandments will be part of who we are, will be part of our DNA. And we will see that his love reaches beyond anything that we can imagine. How wonderful are the deeds that he has done towards mankind. Could we stand? Heavenly Father, I love you and praise you today. I thank you for your blessings. I thank you for your love. I ask you, Lord, to help us to search our hearts that we are truly in love with you, that our motives are pure before you. Lord, no condemnation, no criticism, but truly, Lord, just to reevaluate, to reignite the fire of the love that we have for you and the love that you have shown us. I ask you to bless each one here. Go with them, Lord, to their separate abode. Bless in their lives and encourage them. Thank you for all you do, Lord. Amen. took a breath when I doubted Lord remind me 